Okay, so tonight, <clears throat> I'll be bringing you a topical message tonight, so don't think we're going too deep here, but I do believe that this is a word for us all in this room, if not those online or wherever this is going out to. So um, hopefully this will be an encouragement, maybe an exhortation for some, uh, maybe conviction for others, but that's okay. Because that's what the Word of God does. Amen? It's it's doing what it's supposed to do. So uh, this is a topic we're going to talk about tonight, somewhat foundational uh, to the vision and the beginnings of actually this church here, what we call CCT. Uh, Unfortunately, it seems like we get so busy in the weekly and, you know, daily, weekly, even annual uh, ministries that we have um, that maybe sometimes we forget about these foundational you know, things that started, that we started in, right? Get back to your first love. But uh, this is foundational, and it's good that we are reminded, I think, of these things uh, often to bring us back to kind of the humble beginnings of uh, why we do what we do as Christians and uh, why we, what we do, why it is we do what we do for, I don't even know why I'm saying that because I'm getting tongue-tied with this, but uh why it is we do what we do for ministry, right, out of this church. So, and not just this church, but, you know, this church is all of you guys. So whatever you do outside of these walls as well. So uh, what is this topic, you may ask? You're not asking. So I'll tell you. Revival. Revival. Why talk about revival tonight? Well, it just seems that uh, as Christians, we all know that... Time is short, yes? I mean, we feel that. We see it all around us. Um, so uh, uh, Jesus is hes coming. We don't know exactly when, but we can see that his imminent return is coming soon. Agree on that? Okay. All right. You can talk back. I like that. So um, just not you, John. I believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring these things in the hearts of his people right now. Uh, Not that it hasn't been stirred in the past, but a large-scale spiritual revival, I I believe, is being stirred in the hearts and minds of many Christians uh, right now in this time. Um, Maybe it's been there in the background all this time. Doesn't matter, but it's at the forefront, I believe, now. It's being prayed for in prayer meetings, I'm sure across the, the world, uh, but definitely in our prayer meetings, it's coming, it's being prayed for. Um, you hear it spoken about in sermons all the time now. Uh, uh, in times of fellowship and speaking to other believers, when we speak about the Lord, this topic has been coming up over and over again. And I guess it's a plug, but even Pastor Lori, Greg Lori, is, uh, you know, the 30th uh, Harvest Crusade is coming up, the 30th year. And he has posted out there that he believes that this year is going to bring about a huge revival. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's what he's praying for. That's what he's always praying for. But that's what he's praying for, and that's what we should be praying for as well. Like I said, this idea of revival was and is a major contributor in the vision of starting this church, CCT, because it was something that was near and dear to our hearts. Why is that? Because we know it's near and dear to the Lord's heart, right? This is the Lord's will. We were definitely, thank you, we were definitely all in back in March of 1999, right? We all, we just celebrated 20 years in March. You guys were here, right? So, uh... So what happened? We've been praying for revival all all these years. It's been 20 years. What's up? Where is it? Was this not God's will that he bring revival? Did we get it wrong somehow? Is it the fact that we haven't stirred it up enough to bring about a revival in this area? Maybe that's it. We haven't done all that we're supposed to be doing. Maybe that's it to make revival happen here. Well, I don't believe that we can just make revival happen on our own, okay? Okay, good. As a matter of fact, I'll be very confident in saying that we cannot do it 
on our own. Amen? I believe it is more of a combination of things that take place. But most importantly, this stirring must be a stirring of the Holy Spirit. I also know that we can't get caught up in the fact of revival is going to be this size or this size. You know, we can't get caught up in the size of the quantity of the people. It could be any size. History, both ancient and modern history, shows us the revivals have come in many sizes and in many ways. Uh, I know that in many ways during the course of this church's existence that we have seen many small Revivals along the way in the 20 years. Really, it's just God's Spirit working maybe in new ways in the people of this church, the people of this community and churches surrounding. We have many examples that I really don't have time to go into tonight, so just check out the video that... No, I'm kidding. Um, I do, however, believe that we need the Holy Spirit to stir this up in our hearts as individuals, well knowing that this is God's will, that revival, whether it be large or small, the large group plan or the individual plan, right? It has to happen, but God wants it to happen among his people, his creation, us, man, woman. Get that? I truly believe that revival does start small It starts in the individual's heart. It has to. Let me quote a couple of guys from the 20th century. Gypsy Smith, the British 20th century evangelist, he preached to audiences of hundreds of thousands of people. And he said, uh, well, a group of folks came to him and asked him, uh, how do we see revival like you've seen? We want mass revival like you've seen. How do we see that? And he said to them, Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly brokenly, that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Interesting. Dr. Lee Roberson, another pastor from the 20th century. We all remember the 20th century, right? Okay. And he says this about revival. Revival begins in the individual's heart. Let it begin with you on your face alone before God. Turn from every sin that might hinder. Renew yourself, revival. Renew yourself to a new devotion to the Savior. That's the basis of revival. I believe that there are many factors that come together in order for us to see uh, the mighty work of God's Spirit across a large group of people such as our city and our county, our nation, our state, okay? But the most important would be that revival needs to begin in the individual's heart first. I want to look at one of the greatest revivals that we have written for us in the Bible, and that is of the great city of Nineveh. So as I continue, you can turn to Jonah chapter 3. We will be uh, in Jonah 3 and kind of all over Jonah tonight. So uh, the book of Jonah is is a really good book for us Christians to look at today. Why is that? Because the book shows us about God's love and mercy towards man, even towards a stiff-necked, disobedient man such as Jonah. It gives us a picture of his salvation, his provision, his long-suffering, and his forgiveness. And that's good news for us, right? It's good news for Jonah. It's good news for us. We see many of the attributes of God's character in this book. Now, there are many people, even Christians, who believe the book of Jonah to be an allegorical story or even a fairy tale. And uh, some even believe that Jonah was just a myth, mythological guy. Well, to set the record straight, Jonah was a real man and a prophet of God's He's listed in one of the historical books of the Bible as a servant of the God of Israel. 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25 says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. 
He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So we have historical proof that Jonah was a real man, a prophet of the Lord's. We also know that all that which Jonah endured, right, uh, in this fairy tale was truth as well, because Jesus himself likens his own death and resurrection to this myth of a man named Jonah. We see in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jonah, real guy. Jonah's story, true. Uh, Think for a moment. Jesus wouldn't use Jonah as an example uh, to the as for the example of his death and resurrection, he wouldn't give that to a group of Pharisees and scribes, right? Because they would know if if they believed he was a myth, Jesus wouldn't use that example. You get where I'm going with that? So let's move on. We've established some truth about Jonah. Let's get back to revival. Uh, now, also, I want to point out that technically there are two terms used for different accounts or manifestations of God pouring his spirit out on man and doing a great work in the hearts of men. And they are awakening, an awakening or a revival. Okay, I don't want to get into a whole lot there. But in the simplest of terms, an awakening is a term that is generally used for that, which the Holy Spirit will do amongst uh, non-believers, for the most part, when he brings them into a saving knowledge of their need for God and his spirit to be within them. And a revival is that which is e- usually equated to the restoration of believers to a right relationship with God and submission to his spirit. Now, the word revival, however, is being used in both, and it has been and it still is. So I'm going to use the word revival here uh, for uh what we're talking about tonight. So don't come up and say, oh, that's a great awakening or that's an awakening. I know. Um, but as we'll see here, we have both those that need to be restored in front of us and those that need to be saved. So I think we're okay. Plus, it fits better with my title. Um, the title for tonight's message is A Recipe for Revival. It's a recipe for revival. Now, I want to clarify the title is A Recipe for Revival, not The Recipe for Revival. Okay? Uh, so who in the room here, who bakes? Anybody a baker? Okay. A few. Yes, I see that hand back there. Um, so good, because we're going to equate this to a recipe um, a baking recipe, if you will. Um, I'm going to use that as an analogy as we go through. I've got kind of a theme going. I know it might seem a little silly, but please uh, bear with me. Uh, good. Uh, now, I've baked some things in my lifetime. Yes, I know. I've been known to make a pumpkin pie or two in my day, okay? So, so all of us bakers... <laughs> We all know, right? In a recipe, there's a whole list of ingredients, right? Whole list of ingredients and, and their measurements, right? How much you need of what ingredient. And then there's these explicit instructions on how to put those ingredients together, right? Is that right? Or Okay, good. And within those instructions, they may even include special instructions on combining some of those uh, certain ingredients, maybe even in a separate bowl, right? And then there may be another small group of ingredients that need to, need to be combined together in a different manner in a different bowl, okay? So you've got your different ingredients. 
You bakers following me? Is this, I lose you? Okay. <laughs> so as I found out early in my baking endeavors, many times it's very important that we need to follow the directions to the T, or else you're not going to get the result that you wanted, right? It's not going to taste too well. Um, well, now that that's all laid out, I want to give you the first of our three points of preparation of our recipe for revival. And I'll probably spend more time in this first point than others. But now, God being the master baker here, right? He's the baker. He being the one that wants to bring about this end result, which is revival in the hearts of his people. The first thing we look at that he has to repair is the preacher. So what he's going to do first for preparation to see revival is God will prepare his preacher. That's our first point. God will prepare his Peter. <laughs> God will prepare his Peter. I'm glad it's not getting out out on the internet or anything like that. So he has to uh, prepare his preacher because that's a main ingredient you can't do without in this recipe for revival. Romans 10:14 through 15 says. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, if I can start off, uh, if we start off here in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and four, one through 4, it looks like, you know, this preacher preparation step has already been done, right? We see in verses uh, 1 and 2, that the Lord has already he spoke to Jonah, said, get up, go, preach this message that I want you to preach uh, to the city of Nineveh. And in verses 3 and 4, it says, we see that Jonah got up and went to the city of Nineveh, and he preached what God had told him to preach. I never read the verses, did I? Uh, chapter 3, so now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach it to the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So it looks like Jonah's good to go. He's been totally obedient to what God has asked him to do, right? If we look at these verses here. But you got to know the whole story of Jonah, right? Do we know that story? we got to go back to chapter 1 and 2 and see how Jonah got to where he was at this point in chapter 3. Because he seems so obedient and, and so willing to, you know, to go and do what he needs to do. As we see in uh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 1, the Lord had called Jonah to a specific calling within his duty. What was his duty? He was one of the Lord's prophets. Uh, But in verse 3, it says that Jonah fled in the total opposite direction. He fled from the Lord, uh, from what the Lord had commanded him to do. He was now in total disobedience to God. Do I need to tell you here tonight that that's not good? No? No? Do I need to tell you it's not good? Because I just did. It's better to find his sin. So God knew that he had to get Jonah's attention, bring him back to a right relationship with him in order for Jonah to fulfill his ministry and the specific calling that God had called him to. Now, a little side note. Could God have just let Jonah go off to Tarshish, live in a cave, hide out, and be uh, done for the rest of his life? Yes, he could have. Couldn't God have just commissioned somebody else uh, to do the task in Nineveh? Sure, he could have, but he didn't. Why then did the Lord take the time to put Jonah through all that he did? Well, it wasn't to get the job just to get the job done in Nineveh. That wasn't it. He could have used anyone. It was because the Lord loved Jonah so much. And what was more important to God than Jonah preaching in Nineveh was the fact that God wanted Jonah back in a right relationship with him because he loved him. You see, it's more important to God that you're saved and that you have this relationship, this right relationship with him, which is only through his son, Jesus Christ. 
in that you maintain that relationship with him through the repentance of the sin that you may find yourself falling into here and there, even as a saved person. We all sin and have sinned since we've been saved, yes? A couple of hands there, okay. (laughs) That sin in the life of a believer is a hindrance between us and God until we repent of it and get back into a right standing with him. And that's where Jonah was. Now, the account before us doesn't say it, but I, I, I don't believe that Jonah all of a sudden decided that he was going to just start being disobedient to the Lord uh, because of this one thing that he asked him to do. Um, as I reflect back, and I know you may be able to as well reflect back in, on my own life as I've fallen into sin since I've been saved, um, it's more of a progression kind of thing, right? As we see, uh, like in Psalm 1 through 3, the Lord takes us through uh, this progression of how sin builds in our lives, or the, the thought of it, and then it turns into full-blown sin. But Psalm 1 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in this counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, if... You're in his word daily, meditating on it day and night, feeding your spiritual life, then you're not going to be hanging out with all these scornful and sinful people. And you're going to be less likely to start separating yourself spiritually from God. Once you begin that progression, and I believe it starts without when you stop reading the word of God, you're in trouble. It's usually downhill from there, and that's pretty fast as well. I don't believe this was Jonah's reason why he ran or why he was disobedient, but I believe that the Lord uh, gave this to me uh, for maybe someone here tonight. Uh, but has ever, anyone ever run from God because of shame? They felt shame. The shame you felt was because of your relationship with God. Maybe wasn't good. Maybe you knew that he was calling you to take a step of faith, step out and do something in service to him. And you couldn't because of how ashamed you felt because you knew you weren't worthy of serving him. Anybody? So rather than running back to the foot of the cross where there is no shame, you ran from God in his forgiveness? That's where Jonah's at. I believe that Jonah, having at once a good relationship with God, because he was, after all, a prophet of God, right? They must have talked, you know, a little bit. I believe he was already heading down that progressive path to full-blown disobedience before God even called him to do what he wanted him to do in Nineveh. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 make reference to Jonah having some prior knowledge of what the outcome would be if he did as God had asked. It says that he had a conversation with God on this matter, Jonah 4, 1 and 2, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Ah, oh, Lord, was that was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful, God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. What is wrong with that? Seems like this is a good thing that God had called Jonah to Nineveh. It was definitely a God thing. But I would think this would be a very good thing, right? That Jonah would be willing to do this. Hundreds of thousands of people would give their hearts to the Lord and stop doing all the evil things that Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, were known for doing. 
it seems to me that Jonah already had a problem with the Lord. And maybe this was just that final straw that made him run. Instead of trusting in God and whatever, whatever his plan was to be, Jonah said no to God. In any case, however it was that Jonah got to his current spiritual condition, God certainly wasn't going to have it anymore. So the Lord uses a, a storm, a tempest, if you will, uh, to get Jonah's attention. He also uses a bunch of heathen sailors who, by the way, after they threw him in, they prayed to Jehovah God after they had prayed to um, all of the other gods that they know, if, if you look at, I don't want to go uh, back there, but when uh, uh, the sailors were, they were in trouble, right? The ship was breaking up. They had this huge storm they were going through, and they were trying to row to shore. And Jonah says, throw me in, and the seas will calm. And, uh, and they asked him, though, who his God was, because he had told them that he was running from him, So they believed that this God, the one that created the heavens and the earth, uh, I think maybe the seas and the, and the earth, but uh, uh, they believed now in the power of this God, of Jonah's God. So they began to praise him. So a little bit of a revival happening even there on the ship before he gets thrown in. So he gets thrown into the sea, and uh, uh, then he, he, you know, the Lord prepares the fish, and he goes into the belly of the fish. Jonah thought he was done. This fish comes and saves him, and then he looks back to the Lord, and he cries out to him for forgiveness and thanksgiving. Jonah 2, 4 through 7 says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth was at, with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And that's amazing. He thought he was done. But he knows that his God is a God of second chances. He cries out. He was thankful for that. The Lord saved him. We should be thankful for that. Amen. Jonah says in verse 9, But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He was thankful. And he was praising God. So Jonah repents gets back in the right relationship with the Lord, and he vows that he will do whatever it takes, whatever it is that God asks him to do. God has now prepared his preacher. He can now use Jonah. What about us today? How does this pertain to us? Well, I think you guys know this already, but when we come to the Lord, we instantly have a calling, don't we? And that is to proclaim or preach the gospel to all the world. Now, if you're coming back to a right relationship with the Lord uh, from maybe a backslidden state like Jonah, you still have that same calling on your life as a Christian, don't you? Mark uh, 16, 14 through 18 says, Later he appeared to the eleven, Jesus, as he sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He gave them the great commission to take the gospel to all the world. That doesn't stop. Whether you know it or not, uh, whether you know whether you've got some other ministry other than just, you know, taking the gospel out to folks, like, a, you know, you know you're called to you know, worship ministry or children's ministry or children's ministry or children's ministry. <laughs> Kidding. Um, but any other ministry, uh, you still have that commission that you're to fulfill. 
That is your ministry. You are the preacher, and you need to be prepared, always. If you find yourself in a condition like Jonah, who's far from the Lord because of some sin that is hindering you, God wants you to come back to him and be prepared to fulfill your ministry. Amen? Let me just put say this. You don't have to go the way of Jonah. Don't go out that far. Right? You can take care of that business quickly. Don't go out as far as Jonah did. Don't, don't go the length of Jonah that Jonah did. So if I may, in keeping with the theme of our title tonight, I would liken, liken Jonah to the eggs in our recipe. The eggs. All recipes call for eggs to be cracked. Right? But certain recipes call for the eggs to be beaten, whipped, folded. Right? You didn't think I knew that one. It's whatever it takes to get those eggs into the right condition to be used for the recipe, that recipe for revival. Whatever it takes, that's what God's going to do to prepare you, the preacher. Let's move on. Next point, our next preparation point. It's in uh, verses 5 through 9. Chapter 3. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So our second point is this. God will prepare his people. In order for us to continue with our recipe for revival, God needs to begin to prepare some more ingredients, so to speak. And the next step he takes is preparing the hearts to accept, uh, preparing those people's hearts to accept the message that Jonah will be preaching. This isn't a fun message. The Lord has to do, he's got to do some prep work ahead of time if he's going to see the results that he's looking for. It's a short message. It's a stinging message. Jonah 3.4 says, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was it. In order for these people to understand and turn from their evil ways, there most certainly had to be a work done from God's end. That very simple message for Jonah wasn't going to do it on its own. It's often been said by our pastor and and others that when the Lord nudges you to go and share the gospel with someone, more than likely he's already been there. He's gone before us, he goes before us, and he's already prepared the heart of that person that he's bringing you to. We just need to step out in obedience and do what he's asked. Because the Lord has already prepared that portion of the recipe. He's prepared you, the preacher, and now he's prepared those whom he will lead you to. You know um, that you can't really leave out anything in a recipe, right? Because if you do leave something out, it's not going to be very good. The end result won't be what God wants, certainly. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, John 6:44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at that last day. It's God that draws people to Jesus. It's he that prepares the hearts of the people. A great example of both God preparing the hearts of those he wanted saved in a great revival in history, another great revival, is the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2. 
It's lengthy, so I'm just going to break it up. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So God sent the Holy Spirit for the very first time, just as Jesus had promised. And he filled them all. He prepared their hearts to receive the message. And then we see the preacher that will bring that message. In verse 14, we see Peter stand up. We know he was prepared for the task in his own heart. Being obedient to the Lord's call, he began to give a sermon. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So he began to proclaim the gospel. Now, if we skip down to 36, it says, Therefore, let all the house... Of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all those afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. This was revival. Yes? The church then started, and it continued to grow quickly. Verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So God prepared his people to do this great work. Now again, sticking to our theme, I believe the people of Nineveh to be kind of like the miscellaneous ingredients that we mixed together in that other bowl earlier, right? Remember, those that are prepared separately and then added into the recipe later, like the salt, sugar, baking powder, those kinds of things. Um, They're all waiting to be combined with the eggs. Who are the eggs? The preacher. They have to get combined with the eggs in God's timing. You've got all the different walks of life there in Nineveh. We know that Nineveh was a huge city and that many Many people live there, probably coming from all different kinds of spiritual states. Maybe not all as wicked as the next guy, but obviously most needing to be saved. God mixed them all together, prepared their hearts to receive the simple but hard message from his preacher. And there was national repentance in in return and a national revival in Nineveh. Even the king, who was probably the most uh, evil in that city. Our next point of preparation is found in our last verse. You guys, did I put you to sleep? Okay. The one guy I wanted to go to sleep, I wouldn't mind. The guy would need to pray for him. He's battling uh, insomnia. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> So the point, our next point, our third point is in verse 10, and that is, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So our third point is this. God is prepared to be God. God is prepared to be God. The great part of this point is that the work's already completed, right? God is God. No preparation needed. Amen? Verse 10 says that God relented 
So I guess we should figure out what that means. The definition of relent is uh, to soften in feeling or become more mild, compassionate, or forgiving. Now, the Old King James, if you guys are re- any of you are reading in the Old King James translation, it says that God repented. However, that was kind of an unfortunate translation from the Hebrew into the Old English because the word repent literally means to change direction, and that would be in action and thought. So if we read this in the Old King James, we may think that God changed his mind about overthrowing Nineveh. We might be saying to ourselves, well, that's not a bad thing, right? That's a good thing, especially for the people of Nineveh. Well, I'd have to say not necessarily so. All this is showing us is that God is God, and he is consistently the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's, that's the good thing. You see, you don't want to, we don't want a wishy-washy God, right? That wouldn't be good for anyone who may obviously be currently unsaved or in a fallen state. What if God changed his mind about Jonah, right? Jonah was running. He was far from him in this rebellious state from God. Jonah realizes his mistake, and he comes back to the Lord like he did in chapter 2. And God says, gee, sorry, Jonah. I changed my mind. I don't think I want to forgive your sins today. Go your way. I mean, that hurts. What if that was you or I that he said that to? No, that's not our God. See, God is a merciful and forgiving God. His relenting in this matter of Nineveh just shows how passionate, compassionate, and forgiving that he is. Two great attributes of God's character. This just shows us that God is consistent across the board. This is just who God is. If you look back in verse 9, the king is asking a question. And he says, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So we saw, we know from chapter 4, verse 2, that Jonah knew what God would do if they all repented, right? It's going to show his mercy. But it's obvious by the king's statement in verse 9 that Jonah didn't clue them in on that, right? The people of Nineveh. He didn't clue them into that particular attribute of God, that he was a gracious and forgiving God, and that if you just repent, he's faithful and just to forgive you all of your sins. 1 John 1.8, if we confess our sins, I think it's 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, his message was very simple, right? He said, you know, in 40 days, you'll be overthrown. He didn't talk about God's grace and what he would do, his uh, relenting of uh, destroying Nineveh. You see, God is God, and his attributes don't change. The people of Nineveh didn't really know God. Jonah knew God, but they didn't really know God. Just another testament to God preparing the people's hearts ahead of time before Jonah got there. Because why else would they repent as they did if they didn't know if God would actually relent from which he said he would do? See how all the parts have to kind of come together in the recipe? They need to come together to have the right results. Two final truths from God in, in a testament to his consistency. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In Acts 3.19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So God prepares his preacher, he prepares his people, and he is prepared to be God and prepared to do those things that are consistent with 
his attributes, and his character. Now, if we follow that recipe, there's no reason why we won't see a huge move of God in this city, in this county, in this state, in this nation. If we go back to the recipe, I liken God, if he will allow me to, I liken God to the flour in the recipe. It's already flour, right, when you get it, when you go to the store and purchase it. I mean, who's grinding their own wheat in the flour these days? Anyone? It's already flour when you buy it at the store, already complete, all purpose, as the label says, right? Already sifted, already bleached. I don't know if this is good, but it's already enriched. It's the one consistent piece of our recipe for revival. God is that consistent piece. The preacher's heart can change. The people's hearts can change. But God can never change. It's just not in his nature. Like I said in the beginning, I I don't believe that this is like the recipe, the only recipe for revival to happen. However, I do believe that all the ingredients here in this recipe will be in every recipe for revival, whatever that means. All these pieces have to be part of revival for us to see it. They have to be because this is a God thing, not our thing. We can and will be a part of his thing if we follow our part of the recipe. Follow me? Yes? God will prepare those preachers, those proclaimers, that's you and I, to be ready to proclaim his word, his good news. God will always go before and prepare the people that will we will be preaching to, those that he specifically calls to go and just... Uh, those that he specifically calls to go, us to go to, but even those divine appointments that we find ourselves, you know, in various places. He's already been there. He just wants us to be sensitive to that and to be obedient to step out when he says to. Always, 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 God is prepared to move among his people to bring about that which he wants to happen that which he's ordained to happen. Are you prepared? Or does God need to prepare you as he did Jonah? I hope not. You don't want to go down that road. But are you prepared? Are you in a right relationship with the Lord right now? If you are, great. You're prepared to go out right now. And believe me, God's prepared some hearts for you to go and speak to, so go. Not now, when I'm done. But you need to go. If your relationship isn't what it should be with the Lord right now, if you know that there is this sin chasm between you and he currently, please, please, please take care of that business right here, right now, tonight. Then we can see revival, that revival that we're so looking forward to. Let it begin in our individual hearts tonight. That's where it has to start. Imagine if we're all like-minded and of one accord like those in Acts chapter 2. Just think of what the Lord can do with us. Let me leave you with a couple of quotes from a couple of famous preachers that have seen revival. Charles Finney said, A revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. And then Leonard Ravenhill said, As long as we are content to live without revival, we will. Let's begin a new beginning of obedience towards God so that we don't have to be content to live without revival. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, just uh, thank you for your spirit uh, that dwells within us and empowers us, Lord. Uh, We're so grateful that 
you have given us that that free gift, Lord. The salvation of your son dying on that cross for us and all that that means and the sealing of of, uh, the Holy Spirit giving us the confidence in knowing that we are yours. We are heirs with Christ, you say in your word. That's an awesome thing. Lord, help us to walk in those uh, in that position each and every day. Lord, and if there are any here tonight that uh, need to get right with you, would you touch their hearts right now? And, and Lord, would you speak to them? And, and I just pray that um, any would just, uh, any in need of that would just heed your spirit's call. And Lord, make that right with you. Get back in that right standing with you, Lord, so we can all be together and uh, and uh, Lord, do your will in this place. Not just this place, but outside of this place, in this community, in uh, the communities we've been called to serve. Lord, help us to be in service to you. Uh, so lead us, guide us, uh, direct us, Holy Spirit. Use us to proclaim and to preach your word, your gospel, each and every day, Lord. We, we want to be sensitive to that. So help us in that regard, Lord. Um, thank you for this evening. We ask your, just your blessing upon uh, Pastor Barry and Amir and all that are putting on this conference this weekend. Lord, would you speak, uh, just speak a word to these folks in, in New Zealand, Lord, and then would you uh, get them home safely? And, uh, Lord, we would we'll rejoice in all that we hear of you doing in and through them um, on this trip. So uh, we thank you, and uh, we love you, and we just give the rest of this night to We give our hearts to you, Lord. We want to see revival in this land. Help us to be a part of that. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.